plant a tree, it absorbs carbon. If you fund the planting of that tree, you can take credit for the credits it produces. The voluntary carbon market has been around for 25, 30 years, um, but the level of sophistication is really uh, predicated on the investment capital that is now flowing into the market. I felt very strongly that this was a, that the public markets were a suitable forum and format for this, and that um, we could demonstrate the growth of a new commodity. Welcome to the Exchange Feed Podcast. I'm your host, Arnie Goldstein, Head of Company Services for TMX Group for the Pacific Region. In this episode titled Offset This, we're discussing how more and more companies than ever are declaring net zero goals. But really, what does that mean? And how do voluntary carbon offsets fit into that goal? This podcast will take these key discussion points and examine how companies are engaging voluntary carbon offset markets and how project developers such as ClimateX, a TSX venture listed company, and marketplaces like the Voluntary Climate Marketplace or TVCM are addressing the key challenges and the solutions for participants. To examine and explain the rapidly evolving carbon markets, I'm pleased to introduce my guests, James Tanzi, the CEO of ClimateX, listed on the Venture Exchange, and Dan Scarborough, the President and Chief Operating Officer of Incubex. Hi. Hi, thanks for having us. Dan, James, as a starting point, can I ask each of you to describe your organization briefly? Yeah, sure, I I can go first. Yeah, thanks again for having us here. Incubex uh, really was started as a specialist environmental product developer uh, back in 2016. Uh, much of our team comes from a company called uh, Climate Exchange, uh, which was formed in the early 2000s uh, by a gentleman named Dr. Richard Sandor. Um, and we've been involved in the environmental space uh, for really for quite some time. So uh, definitely happy to be here with you. Yeah, and thanks as well for the invitation to uh, to speak to you today. Uh, my name is James Tanzi. I'm the founder and CEO of Climate X Developments. Um, we are an upstream owner and operator developer of carbon credit projects focused on nature-based solutions ranging from reforestation, avoided deforestation, mangrove protection and conservation and agriculture. So we're ultimately a kind of large-scale producer of carbon credits within jurisdictions around the world, working with government as partners securing investment and then selling uh, the credits downstream to to our large uh, final emitters and customers. It's fascinating work for both of you. Uh, James and Dan, can we just start off really, really basically and just how do carbon credits work and and how are they priced? So carbon credits are really just emissions reductions. Um, a company can reduce its own emissions, for instance, by you know, energy efficiency or changing fuels. Uh, but most companies reach limits as, as to what they can do internally, uh, and it becomes increasingly expensive to invest in emissions reductions as an airline or as a, an oil refinery or as a data center operator. Um, so to get to net zero, where you eliminate all of your emissions, you have to invest in emissions reduction somewhere else. The simplest description would be uh, if you plant a tree, it absorbs carbon. If you fund the planting of that tree, you can take credit for the credits it produces. Uh, and that's how uh, that's you know ultimately how the, the market produces carbon credits. You can also do that by paying people to leave trees in the ground, what's called avoided deforestation. 
You can pay people to change or subsidize changes in agricultural practices that reduce the amount of carbon emitted. You can also invest in technology solutions like more fuel efficient cookstoves or, or biogas systems all the way through to large scale carbon capture and storage. And ultimately the financing mechanism is you're sort of paying a lower cost for somebody else or somewhere, somewhere else to reduce their emissions so you can take credit for that on your company's uh, emissions liabilities. That, that's the sort of essence of how it works. Yeah, and as James uh, mentioned, these carbon uh, mitigating projects um, are really tracked and, and issued by electronic registries, um, much like an online bank account um, that you would track uh, funds in the account. You'd have carbon credits that are issued uh, by these registries that uh, serve as both the electronic registry, but also the developer of the protocols uh, themselves that set, uh, you know, what constitutes a carbon offset. Uh, in each of those registries. So, um, you know, generally speaking, these carbon offsets fall into categories of either nature-based or technology-based uh, projects, and they're either carbon uh, avoiding or carbon reducing or removing uh, projects. So uh, there are various types of carbon offset projects out there. <clears throat> they're tra tracked, generally speaking, by these central registries. Um, and then ultimately, uh, to the extent that a company is looking to buy a carbon offset, um, they can have that uh, offset transferred to their own uh, registry account, or uh, in some cases, those are retired on behalf of that company, um, you know, by the developer themselves. So, um, you know, there's really a full life cycle like any other commodity uh, from the point of creation all the way through the point of consumption. That's very interesting. So just stepping back a little bit, how are companies or, or industries getting involved in the carbon space today? What we've seen in the last uh, 24 months as companies have announced their commitments to do something about climate change on behalf of their shareholders or customers is uh, a large number of companies stepping up and making these net zero commitments. And that's created you know, what Mark Carney's described as a, or identified as a 15x growth in the size of the carbon credit market. And many of those companies now are facing scrutiny from regulators about their claims with respect to carbon neutrality and net zero. And so they're feeling a lot of pressure to build uh, the infrastructure and make the investments to begin to um, uh, secure those. So, you know, our positioning as a company has been to help the entire sector shift from what's been a sort of small scale niche artisanal business of doing small scale projects upstream uh, to kind of professionalize and industrialize carbon credit production. So borrowing contract structures from the oil and gas sector, like uh, production sharing contracts and, and concessions, coming to agreements with large jurisdictions that have, where we know they have large scale nature-based solutions in forestry and mangroves, um, uh, getting those agreements in place first, and then going back to the markets and saying, we need the capital to fund the at-risk uh, exploration and development work because once we fund that, what we're finding in the market right now is the big buyers, the energy companies of the world, and even you know the technology companies with large data centers, for instance, are so desperate to meet their obligations around carbon credit production that they'll prepay or pre-purchase those, uh, those projects. So we're, we're certainly seeing the buyers get involved in that, where we're seeing the sort of financial markets, I think is still testing um, uh, and exploring whether these trades can actually complete, whether you can go from sort of soup to nuts in the development of these projects. And, and so there's a lot of effort at the moment to prove out those points to 
you know, investors and shareholders and, and you know, passive investors that just want exposure to strong ESG stories. And that's been a big effort for us and many other of our, uh, of our partners and competitors for the last, uh, last couple of years. So a lot of the people that are listening to this podcast, primarily our audience, is listed companies on TSX and TSX Venture Exchange. There may be some companies that are listening right now that just through their normal business processes may in fact be making efforts that are eligible for offsets. Um, what are your thoughts on on what would be a next step for a company to explore that? And if we can just kind of add into that, you've said a few times large scale projects. Can you give some some sizing around what scale would be? Yeah, I think as James uh, alluded to, over 5,000 companies making net zero commitments uh, in the last 24, 36 months um, is really driving uh, a change of behavior in many ways and uh, increasing the level of sophistication of these companies and, and kind of, um, you know, to a certain extent, now turning these into tangible uh, climate action plans that start really with measurement. Uh, first and foremost, so companies understanding what their footprint is um, on a very um, uh, detailed and granular basis, scope one, scope two, and scope three, uh, sort of your direct emissions, your energy usage, and then the carbon impact or greenhouse gas impact of the products uh, that you're selling respectively. And companies really looking at this um, uh, first and foremost as the first step of understanding the, the, the problem itself and, and how they deal with it. Um, there have been companies that have been focused on sustainability for quite some time, and certainly the voluntary carbon market has been around for 25, 30 years. Um, but the level of sophistication is really uh, predicated on the investment capital that is now flowing into the market uh, based on this, um, this interest. So we're still in the early stages, I think, of the, the exponential growth that you're going to see in voluntary carbon over the next five or 10 years. But um, certainly the interest is there. And a lot of that is based on those net zero commitments that uh, companies are making. James, over to you. Yeah, I mean, I think the the evolution of the market, uh, that demand that Dan referred to is, is, a, is a very strong demand signal. Uh, we're seeing it consistently, even in, in economic conditions that have been very challenging. I think some of the reason for that is some of the large final buyers are um, uh, energy companies themselves. In the context of whether a, a company has offsets of its own that it can generate from its activities, you know, the key criteria is, is additionality. You, you, you can't get credit for something for which there was already an existing business case. Like if it made sense to retrofit your building with LED lights because it reduced your bill and it paid for itself in six months, you can't generate a carbon credit from that. You have to generate credits from projects that are over and above business as usual cases. So, you know, for in simple things for like restoration projects, if the land has been, all the trees have been cut down and nobody's replanting them, we meet the additionality case because we're doing something nobody else would have done. Um, for technology projects, particularly early stage technology projects, you know, you can often prove that the market isn't there for it yet. So you can, you can get credits from that uh that way generally what we find is that the price point for technology projects is higher but there is a subset of the market that's willing to pay um you know cost in the 30 to 100 a ton range to support uh te technology 
projects and technology deployment. So, you know, always open to hearing from people who, who think they have a credit. Often what they have is an emissions reduction that that made sense for them to do anyway, not not something that's going to qualify as an offset. But uh, we're always happy to talk to people about that and explain explain how this odd concept of additionality works. So my friend that runs the uh, Christmas tree farm probably wouldn't be uh, eligible for that because they're already replanting. That's right. So, you know, in Canada, in British Columbia, for instance, forestry companies have to replant trees uh, when they cut them down. It's part of the, the no net deforestation regulations in BC. So you can't get credit for that, but you can get credit for doing enhanced forest management, reducing harvest, uh, less disturbance, fertilization, all those kinds of things, which are expenses that go over and above business as usual. But no, no, no luck for your Christmas tree friend. I'm sorry. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so why do I even need to invest in carbon projects at all or offset projects at all? Like, shouldn't the governments be doing this to begin with? I would say that there's, um, on a global scale, we've been waiting for uh, governments to resolve issues like the Paris Agreement, the Kyoto Agreement, for almost 20 years now. Um, and ultimately, very little progress has been made, particularly towards addressing emissions reductions between developed and developing countries. Um, and I think what we saw at the COP in, in Egypt was just really growing impatience from countries that are suffering some of the worst consequences of climate change, which Cause which are problems they didn't cause. We've been promised hundreds of millions or billions of dollars now for for over a decade, and that money isn't that money isn't coming through. So I think there's demand coming from the market now that's unprecedented, um, and uh, ultimately corporations are saying, well, if these multinational agreements aren't coming, then maybe we address these these liabilities. You know, ultimately, the reason we built this company was inspired partly by Mark Carney's task force on voluntary carbon uh, markets. And, and it basically added up all the net zero commitments and said, this market's going to have to grow 15-fold to meet the growth in demand from companies that have demonstrated corporate leadership, stepped forward and said, look, if governments can't solve this problem, we will. And I think, you know, further to that point, uh, less than 15% of global CO2 emissions are covered by a compliance of government mandated uh, carbon trading program. And so 85% are not. And many of these companies that are trying to uh, you know, come up with sustainability plans are multinational companies that have uh, some facilities covered by a mandatory carbon trading program where they have a government obligation to reduce. And they have many facilities that are not and trying to look at things holistically for these companies is a very big challenge in, in developing these net zero uh, strategies. So there's, uh, you know, no doubt really that uh, both compliance and voluntary markets are going to play a role in uh, driving emission uh, reduction. Uh, Market-based solutions to environmental issues have a very strong track record of success of driving investment capital and spurring innovation. Um, in the space and i think the offset market is is no different uh from that perspective uh things is, as jane mentioned things like direct air capture from a technology-based uh project are very expensive at the moment the scale is not there um, but there's a tremendous amount of capital coming into the market uh you know really trying to drive that innovation and 
many case studies that you can look at. Uh, the asset rain program in the U.S. when that was implemented in the early 90s, the cost to reduce one ton of sulfur dioxide emissions at a power plant was very high, and the cost of uh, scrubbing was not a um, you know at the stack emissions was not a proven technology at the time, and it was very expensive. Uh, that cost came down significantly um, as that technology was proven, but it was really based on that market signal that was developed in that structure that was there. So I think uh, carbon mitigating offset projects are developing much in the same way where uh, they've been around for quite some time, 25, 30 years, uh, but the development and the evolution of those markets are accelerating uh, based on uh, really that investment capital and that really uh, increased focus by companies to look at uh, sustainability as a core pillar of their um, uh, you know, really operating their business, uh, both from an opportunity and also from a risk perspective, looking at, um, you know, their CO2 footprint now as many investors would a risk on, on the balance sheet of that company. So Dan and James, what do you think some of the challenges are for carbon markets today and, and risks for companies that are, that are looking into this now? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, uh, some of the challenges are it's very hard to understand. Uh, the markets are very opaque. Pricing is hard to come by. Each project in many cases has its own price um, in terms of the price that a buyer would be looking to pay for that project. Sometimes it comes down to each individual project, what type of project it is, what registry it's uh, registered in, who the verifier is, when the project uh, was uh, you know, minted or, or when the offset uh, to place from a from a year perspective all these things can have a big impact on price and the market i think over time has been uh very opaque um the price feedback has been missing in many cases uh that that's a core objective of the voluntary climate marketplace and the partnership we have with Trayport to open access uh, to the voluntary carbon market much in the way that you see aggregation across energy markets and really the power of Trayport over the last 20 years as a proven aggregator of marketplaces, both over-the-counter marketplaces, exchanges. Um, and so, you know, carbon really should be no different uh, from that perspective, that uh, infrastructure that works for other markets, energy markets, uh, really should work for the voluntary carbon market as well. And I think, um, you know, you're starting to see a lot of that, um, very, very big firms that are investing in the market infrastructure side of voluntary carbon uh, obviously, the developers themselves and the innovation, you know, like ClimateX, uh, you know, being there and on the ground actually uh, developing these carbon mitigating projects, but also the market infrastructure providers that are developing things like rating agencies, uh, tracking, uh, electronic tracking from a registry perspective, uh, aggregating information in a more efficient manner so that companies can really uh, evaluate these carbon offset projects much more efficiently. And so I think access to that information uh, efficient in a much more efficient way is a, is a key aspect for scaling this market. Yeah, I mean, our, our focus upstream has been on establishing um, jurisdictional agreements with, with governments and subnational governments. So we have real clarity over title and ownership. Lots of projects have proceeded on this sort of artisanal small scale basis and sort of worried about dealing with government later. We've taken the view that these very large scale projects need buy-in and both from communities and from the state 
um, in most cases uh, to be able to operate. And then, you know, what we tried to do is build contract structures that from the market and the and investors and analysts perspective look a lot like the kinds of contract structures you'd see in in oil and gas concessions or mining concessions and you know production sharing style contracts which you see in oil and gas a lot so that when when the contracts come forwards and we're presenting the business case they're familiar and and people have have seen them before and they recognize the types of terms that are built into you know what are ultimately very long dated um contract terms 20 or 30 years in some cases um, it's been interesting seeing money flow and capital flow into some early funds trying to support investment in this space. There's certainly some big players on the private equity and, and uh, venture capital side putting money into this. But we've also seen large final buyers, large final emitters that need to buy credits come upstream and, and effectively prepay to secure access to these projects at a much earlier stage than we've seen in the past. And and that's a function of the sort of need in the market for supply, uh, which is, I, I think, in, in both of our experience, unprecedented in, in the last 20 years in carbon markets. So that's an evolution that two or three years ago, you know, we just hadn't seen and we wouldn't have anticipated. That's very interesting. Any uh, any final thoughts you'd like to leave with uh, a public company that's looking to to get into offsets or explore their options? I mean, I'll 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 jump in and sort of explain why we we were a listed company and why we went that route. Um, it was very clear to me that the TSXV is an exchange that supported early stage venturing in in new you know everything from battery minerals to cobalt to you know as far as you know uh, alternative currencies and cryptocurrencies. It is a place, principally though, where the resource sector has sought capital and been able to grow and secure you know as junior mining companies have that kind of early uh, exploration capital so we very intentionally came into the public markets as opposed to what many of our competitors do which was to try and do this on a you know a five uh, eight to ten year gplp structure or fund structure i felt very strongly that this was a that the public markets were a suitable forum and format for this and that um, we could demonstrate the growth of a new commodity, the emergence of a new commodity in a very visible way on, on, on this exchange. So it was very intentional that we, we went this route. And you know, the second reason is this is, in some cases, our projects last 50 years. We need permanent capital structures for that. We're not going to solve this problem with, with funds or with shorter uh, life capital structures. Um, you know, the, the structure has to have a permanence that's at least as long as as the life of a project that we're developing. So um, we felt very strongly that you know, public markets were, were a great way to underwrite that. And I think, we'll, you know, I think we'll see other competitors. I'll be very happy to see other developers come into the market because the opportunity space is so vast at the moment. You know, even our private competitors, we compare notes often on, on the work and, and we just see a huge frontier of opportunity. Yeah, I would, I would definitely echo that. The the opportunity, the scale, the markets uh, we see increasing tremendously over the next five to ten years. Um, really, from a market development perspective, uh, you can kind of look at carbon credits as as if they're a bit of a fractional ownership, um, you know, in these carbon mitigating projects, and uh, you know that's becoming more attractive uh, not only for end users but also for investors. I think from an evaluation perspective and being able to um, you know, efficiently 
see that capital reach the project developers that are putting these projects in the ground um, and those investors looking to invest in those projects and the carbon credits, um, the efficiency can be greatly improved. We think that there's a big opportunity to do so with uh, TMX Group's uh, platform and the partnership we have with Trayport on the Voluntary Climate Marketplace as an example. Uh, but there are many other initiatives that are really trying to ease uh, execution of carbon access, bring price transparency, um, uh, things like rating agencies that are developing to uh, put ratings on carbon offsets, much like you'd see in other other markets as well. Um, and, and really, um, from our vantage point, the things that work well for other markets should work well for uh, carbon markets as well. Um, it's just that they have not uh, seen nearly the level of interest or investment over the last 20, 25 years that, uh, that they're seeing now. And so things are changing quite quickly. Everything from uh, the technology around the projects themselves to market infrastructure, um, and all this is gonna lead to uh, these markets being able to scale in an efficient way. Thank you so much. I'd, I'd like to thank both of you for participating in today's discussion. For any listeners who want to get in touch with either of our guests, uh, we will link their contact information in the description below. And I wish you all a great day.